Thank you, Beverly. Beautiful. Great to have all of our college students home Thanksgiving and, and again coming home at Christmas. It just warms up our hearts and our spirits and great to have you. Great to have you. How many of you feel like you just about have had, you don't have any more energy, you just have, you're just about half shot? Now I see your hand. Okay. If you had your Christmas list right now, would it be at the top or near the top? Bugner, I need some <clears throat> in my life. Spizzerinctum. How many of you recognize the word spizzerinctum? That's a great word. One of my father's words. It's a Bible word if you just read the Old Testament, you know. <laughs> spizzerinctum. It means some energy, some spizz, some power in your heart, in your life, and in your living. I need some spizzerinctum. I want to ask a question. How many of you have already finished your Christmas shopping? May I see your unpatriotic hand, please, if you... <laughs> That was a dirty trick, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, my. Just think, they're waiting out there for you. You've got to get with it here in the next two or three weeks. You need energy. You need vitality. You need power. How many of us need it in the daily business of living? Well, let me tell you. God has promised us some spizzerinctum. The great physician has promised us some pep. He's written out a prescription for us. All we have to do is pick it up at the counter of faith. It doesn't cost us a dime, and it will put some spring in your step and some energy in your living and some power, redemptive power in your relationships. And the prescription is written out in a little book of the Bible, in the New Testament, 2 Peter. Turn to 2 Peter and the first chapter to read God's prescription for spizzerinctum, for energy, for vitality, for some get up and go, for some pep. Listen to it. His divine power, 2 Peter, first chapter, third verse. His divine power has given us everything we need for life. Think of that. God has promised to provide everything you and I need for the business of living and for godliness, for a good kind of life, a noble kind of life, a credible, commendable kind of life, through our knowledge of him who called us by his glory and goodness. He's called us by his glory and goodness. He has invited us to come to the prescription counter and pick up this power for living, this power for godliness, this energy for life. And he has prescribed it because of his glory, his power, and because of his goodness. He cares about you. He cares about life. He cares about us doing more than coping with life. He wants us to conquer in life. Not merely, merely survive, but win. Not just walk off of the field, but to walk off of the field victorious. He's promised all of this through him. Through these, that is, through his glory, his power, his love, his goodness, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises. 
promises so that through them you and I may participate, underline that word, participate in the divine nature and escape, underline that, escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Some translations, caused by lust. The literal word is destructive passions. God has promised us a prescription, and it's written out right here. P-E-P. Promise, escape, participate. Let those three words, the first letter of those three words be an acronym for the kind of energy, the pep that God wants to give us. Promise, escape, participate. The great promises of God. I would urge you, uh, for a possible New Year's resolution, you can begin it before then, but let me urge you just in a practical way for something that will be very helpful to you, helpful to me, helpful to all of us. Why don't you and I, in the next few weeks, read the New Testament through? It doesn't take long. It's not that long. To read the New Testament through and read it through with one idea primarily in mind, and that is to listen to all that God has promised you. Just read what he says, I promise you, I guarantee you, I've got something for you that cannot be equal, cannot be beaten. I've got some power for you, some energy for you, some participation for you, some escape for you, some prayer for you, some love for you, some forgiveness for you, some peace for you, some joy for you. I've just got everything for you. In fact, the New Testament says all things are yours. All of the nature and the power and the quality and the grace and the goodness and the kindness and the love of God, he's just tending to us on a silver platter. The promises of God, they are yours. God has promised some things to you and to me. And God cannot lie. He cannot lie. It's in, he's incapable of lying. It's not in his nature to lie. It's in mine, it's in yours, it's in ours, but not in God's. God has promised some things and he cannot change his mind. He cannot renege. He cannot go back. He cannot cancel. He cannot forget. He cannot overlook. He's promised some things. Now, if I make you a promise that we're going to eat lunch together tomorrow, you would meet me on the basis of that promise. And I could say, I don't want to go. The last minute I changed my mind. And I'll leave you just standing there waiting. Or I could get preoccupied with business responsibilities, phone, letters, people coming, whatever, and it could slip my mind. I guess that's happened to every one of us. Nothing malicious about it, just inadvertently. We ignore it. It slips by. The time catches up with us and passes us, and we've forgotten an appointment. We pick up the phone, and we call our friend. We call our husband. We call our wife and say, I apologize. I forgot. Listen, God never forgets his promise to you. He's never late, never forgets, never goes back on the deal, 
never decides at the last minute that he doesn't want to meet you. He has promised you something. Promised to forgive you of your sin. Promised to give you peace that passes all understanding. Promised to give you his joy. He's promised to give you his power. Take it. You say, Buckner, I don't deserve it. That doesn't have anything in the world to do with it. It's not a question of whether or not you and I deserve to be taken out to lunch. The question is that here is a gracious host that says, I want to give you something, and I'm going to pick up the tab on it, and all you have to do is come and enjoy it. It's not a matter of whether we deserve it or not, whether it's our turn or not, whether we need to do this or that. It's ours. The very great, incomparable, gracious nature of Almighty God has made a promise to you today and a promise to me today. Oh, what lives you and I could begin to live if we'd only take God at his word. Put as much faith in God today as you would in someone who invites you to lunch tomorrow. Enough faith to get up and go. Enough faith to change some of your morning's activities so you'll not be late for the appointment. Why in heaven's name don't all of us right now say, God, I'm going to take you at your word and I'm going to put as much faith in you as I put in my best friend and I'm going to meet you in Jesus Christ and accept all of the blessings that you have for me. Just believe God. Believe him. That promise will begin to make a difference in your life and in mine. We'll begin to experience that kind of energy that God gives, that he infuses into us. We'll begin to mount up with wings as eagles. We'll be able to run and not be weary. We'll be able to walk and not faint. My, the promises of God. The second ingredient in God's prescription is escape from destructive passions. Destructive passions. The word lust is used, and that's a good word to use, but most of us, because of the conditioning of our culture, when we hear the word lust, we think of it only in a, in a sexual connotation. It applies there. It certainly applies there. God has promised to help us escape from the destructive power of sexual lust. Wanting to use some body for the gratification of my own desires. Wanting to feed my will to power by manipulating someone else. Desiring to bolster my sagging middle-aged ego with adolescent behavior and see how many people I can collect sexually. But destructive passion is not limited to sex. But make no mistake about it, my friend, it will be a destructive passion if undirected, uncontrolled, unbridled, unredeemed. And one of the great concerns that every thinking person has in our day, I believe, is the concern about the great wave, epidemic-like wave of sexual infidelity in our culture. May God have mercy on us. 
God wants to do something about that. That's not his plan. That's not God's idea. It's not God's great purpose for our living and for the utilization of the great gifts of procreation and sexual enjoyment which he has bestowed upon man. They were not meant to be misused, but to be used creatively and positively by the grace and the mercy of God. What about a lust for wealth? Greed, that's a destructive passion also. Well, I've seen people sacrifice reputation, sacrifice family, sacrifice their health, sacrifice nearly everything in the name of greed. It's a destructive passion. There are many of them. Well, how do we handle destructive passions? How does God save us from destructive passions? Well, he doesn't do it by repressing it. He does it by replacing it, redirecting it. Over 20 years ago, we began a home across the street for the rehabilitation of women alcoholics. And now for over 20 years, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of women have been helped by that marvelous ministry that helps in the rehabilitation of people who have that destructive passion of alcoholism. When we started that ministry about 22 or 23 years ago, we got a lot of help from people who've been working with alcoholics effectively for a long period of time, like Alcoholics Anonymous, and how I thank God for what they do for people. One of the greatest organizations in the whole earth. We got uh, input from them. We got input from people who work in the Council of Alcoholism, San Antonio Council of Alcoholism, the state councils on alcoholism. One man who was down here from Austin, a real fine person, we were walking around over there looking at the facilities and talking about Alpha Home, and he made an incredible statement. He said, Buckner, remember you cannot subtract to health. I just turned on a light inside of me. You cannot subtract to health. In other words, you cannot get rid of the problem by trying to pretend it's not there or withdrawing from that dependence and substituting another in its place. What he was saying was that Alpha Home could in effect become another dependent on the part of the alcoholic. And he could, because he's using alcoholism to escape from reality and to escape from responsibility, or she is using alcohol to escape from responsibility, can move over into the alpha home and by living there in a cocoon of protection, escape also from responsibility and activity. You could substitute one dependency for another. You cannot subtract to health. That's exactly what God said a long time ago. You cannot get rid of your headache by cutting off your head. Now that's not exactly the way God said it, but that's what he had in mind. You are not going to solve that problem by denying its existence, its rightful existence. Look, the desire to make money, terrific. You say, Buckner, God has given me all of this talent and all of this energy and all of this drive to make money. Is that wrong? Oh, no, it's not wrong. 
thank God for it. You say, oh, God has given me a great sexual drive, a desire to create life, a desire to express my emotions. Is that wrong? No. Thank God for it. But, and here's the key, put Jesus Christ right in the middle of that desire. Put Jesus Christ right down in the middle of your sexual drive and say, God, I thank you for this gift. I thank you for the desire. And I thank you that you are leading me or have already led me to that one with whom I am going to join my heart and my mind and my life together for the rest of this life. And we're going to fulfill your purpose as a married couple. And I thank you for the gift. I thank you for the desire. I thank you for the drive. And I thank you for the person you have created for me to become one with me. Thank God for it. Put him right in the middle of it. And I guarantee you, my friend, if you put Jesus Christ through prayer right in the middle of your desires, he will redirect them into channels of creativity and productivity and positiveness. Do the same thing with your desire to make money. Say, oh, God, I thank you that I've got all this energy. I thank you for the education that I've had, for the experience that I have, and I'm going to make all that I can, and I'm going to use it for the glory of God and for the helpfulness of others and for the blessing to mankind that it can be in Jesus' name. Put Jesus Christ right in the middle of your life, and he will redirect your energies and your drives into positive, healthy, godly, creative channels. So how can he do this? Well, because he understands our nature. He understands our nature. That passage of Scripture that I read to you a moment ago from 2 Philippians, God, the eternal God in Jesus Christ, the total nature of God, laid that aside, not rejecting it or abrogating or canceling it. He laid it aside, and he took upon him the nature of a servant. He took upon him our human nature. Now listen, you see what God has done? God has laid aside divine nature to infuse human nature into it so that you and I can lay aside human nature by the infusion of his nature into us. The Son of God became Son of Man that sons of men might become sons of God. He took upon him our nature so we could take upon us his nature. And that's what Jesus Christ is. He is the incarnation of God in human flesh so that you and I can be incarnated into God. We can become members of the body of Christ, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Fantastic. He came to us because in our fallen sinful nature we could not get to him. And so he comes to renew our nature through his death and resurrection and he gives us life Life here, life now, life today, and life forever. The divine nature of God, how can he do this? He does it by making us partakers of his nature. That's that word that we read. That third ingredient of the prescription for for energy, for pep, for life. To participate in the divine nature. You and I can know the power of God in our living. You and I can know the same love of God in our relationships. 
think of that. But I must remind you that Jesus Christ came to be more than admired. He came to be worshipped. He came to be more than complimented. He came to be committed to. We all admire him. Surely we all do. Everyone finds his or her ideal in Jesus. Everyone. To the banker, he's the hidden treasure. To the jeweler, he's the pearl of great price. To the florist, he's the lily of the valley and the rose of Sharon. To the geologist, he's the rock of ages. To the astronomer, he's the bright morning star. To the carpenter, he's the door of heaven. To the physician, he's the great physician. To the thirsty, he's the water of life. To the hungry, he's the bread of life. All of that, that he might become the Savior. And he becomes our Savior not by our admiration of him as a character, but by our participation with him and in him through faith. It is not external imitation. It is rather internal motivation that changes life. It is not Jesus as an external model. It is Jesus as an internal power that puts energy into our living, peace into our relationships, faith and hope and love. Jesus Christ came to be right in the middle of your life. In fact, he said he's not going to occupy anywhere else. Now, why does he say that? That sounds so narrow-minded, and to some people it sounds like God's on some sort of ego trip. Why does Jesus say, I've got to be before everybody? You've got to put me before mother, father, wife, children, brothers and sisters in your life and the things of this life. I have got to be first. Now, why does Jesus say that? Is that because his ego needs massaging? He's not sure of himself? And he's on some sort of divine ego trip and he just demands to be number one or he won't even come have any relationship with us at all. Is that what he's doing? No, 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 no. That's not what God's doing. God doesn't need that. God doesn't need our massaging his ego. He's totally sufficient within himself. Why does he do that? He does that because of us. Now let me try to explain why, why I think he does it. I know there are many other reasons, but my idea. I think he does this because he knows that you and I are so constructed that what you and I think about ourselves, what you and I think about ourselves is dependent upon what the most important person in our life thinks about us. What I think about myself, what you think about yourself, 
depends upon what the most important person in your life thinks about you. Let me illustrate it. You may be the most beautiful person that ever walked the planet. And everybody says, you are the most beautiful person in all the world. I've never seen anyone so beautiful. I mean, you're magnificent. You're tremendous. You're indescribable. You're incredible. Oh, that's wonderful. But if the number one person in that individual, that beautiful individual's life doesn't feel that way about them, they don't feel that way about themselves. Making a difference how beautiful you are. If the person that's most important to you doesn't think you're beautiful, you don't feel beautiful. You don't think you're beautiful unless you're beautiful to the most important person in your life. Same way with intelligence. Same way with success, with accomplishment, with talent, whatever it is. The way we feel about ourselves is inseparably connected to what the number one person in our life thinks about us. That's why God wants to be first. God wants to be first in our lives, not for His sake, but because He knows the difference it will make in our lives when we find out what He, the number one person in our life, thinks about us. We'll begin to love ourselves when we find out that the number one person in our lives, Jesus Christ, loves us. Our opinion of ourselves is inseparable from God's opinion of us when He's number one in our hearts and in our lives. You begin to like yourself in the right way because God likes you. You say, no, but no, wait a minute, God loves us. Oh, wait a minute, God likes you. Turn that over in your mind a little bit. God likes you. Driving to Dallas on Thursday to celebrate Thanksgiving with uh, our family in Dallas, Steve was driving, and Martha was in the front seat, and I was in the back working on the sermon, praying, praying because Steve was driving, and <laughs> praying for the sermon as well. And uh, Martha said, what are you preaching on Sunday? And I got to talking a little about it, and I, got to, I mentioned the idea that God likes you, and that's the name of this sermon today, if you're at all interested. God likes you, too. He loves you, but he likes you, too. That's a different word, isn't it? Love seems so abstract, so academic, so customary. Well, God likes you. you say, well, how could he like some of the things that I do? Well, he doesn't like some of the things you do any more than you like some of the things you do. Or I like some of the things I do. But look, the reason God doesn't like some of the things we do is not because of what it means to Him, but because of what it means to us. The reason we don't like the way some people behave is because of what it means to us or to people that are important to us. So we don't like them because of what it means to us. God doesn't like some things not because of what it means to Him, but because of what it means to us, the objects of His love and His like. You know, Job... All of us know Job. All of us feel like we've been Job. You know, Job, the devil was just ranting and raving all over the planet, and he ran into God. 
He made some accusations to God. And God said, wait a moment, first chapter 8 verse, wait a minute. He said to the devil, have you met my friend Job? Have you met my servant Job? He's a good man. He's a good man. God believed in Job. That's why Job made it. Not because of what Job thought about himself, but because of what Job thought about himself, because of what God thought about him. Job made it through all kinds of difficulties and stress and problems and privations. Do you realize God likes you? I really would just like to write that on your heart this morning, every one of you. I want to write it on my own, way back there in my mind. God likes you. He's walking around heaven today carrying your picture in his billfold. He's showing everybody your picture. Good man good woman, good guy. Participate in the nature of God and all of your opinions about yourself, about others, about the world, about your responsibility to life. All of that will change, and I promise you, you'll have some spizzerinctum in your living. You'll have the promises of God. You will escape the destructive passions that are in the world because he has replaced them with constructive passions, constructive desires, constructive energy, and he will make you a participant in his eternal divine energy. And you know when you need to do that? You need to do that right now. I need to do that right now. One last quick thought. Tomorrow, Monday. Today, Sunday, will be part of your unchangeable past. You keep talking about doing something about your relationship with God tomorrow. There's no such thing as tomorrow. There are only today. And tomorrow, today will be part of your unchangeable past. The fortunate, wonderful, miraculous thing about it is you can change it today. And today, when it becomes tomorrow, will be forgiven and forgotten by the grace of God and by your own participation in his divine life through Christ. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation because there's no other day. There's no such thing as a tomorrow, only a today. Today is the day of salvation. The Bible says now is the accepted time. You're going to trust Christ? Do it now. Do it today. So that today when it becomes a tomorrow, 
will be filled with newness and life and forgiveness and blessing. Do it today. Transferring your church membership, getting actively involved in the cause of Christ. You've been planning to do it. You know down deep inside it's something you want to do. You just keep saying, well, after the first of the year, after this month, or after, after. Today, today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Today's the day. Now's the time. Let me meet you here and greet you and welcome you into this marvelous fellowship as you trust Christ as your Savior, as you move your church membership, as you come in rededication of your life, whatever God impresses you to do, today's his impression upon you, not tomorrow, today. And when is it the right time to do the right thing? Right now. Is it right to do it? Do it now. Is it right to make that commitment? Make it now. Is it right to get actively involved in the cause of Christ? Do it now. Today is the day. And tomorrow, spizzering. Energy, power, life, vitality as you participate on a daily basis in the very nature of God himself. It's yours, terrific, free, by faith, accepted. Let's stand and bow our heads. Dear Lord, we pray right now that every one of us, beginning with me, every one of us will do right now, today, with our decisions, with our priorities, with our commitments, that we will do right now what you would have us to do today. Recommitting our hearts and our lives, renewing our faith, remaking our vows, moving our membership, committing our life to you in faith and trust. Dear God, help every one of us, without exception from the back row of the corral to the back row of this congregation, may every one of us do your will today. For Jesus' sake we pray, amen. Will you come? Trust the Lord. No one's going to move. No unnecessary movement of any kind. You just come this way. The deacons on the front row will be moving to the side to make room for you to have a seat and for us to talk with you. You say, Buckner, I have some questions about it. You come on. I, I don't know what to do exactly. You come. Say, I don't have my membership with me. Great, you just come. We'll help you with that. But today's the day. Now's the time. Let's sing. And as we sing, you come.